Lord, this generation is, is in shambles. Lord, this country is falling apart, and you are the only answer. Lord, it's, it's not a political party. It's not a single man. Lord, it's, it's you. It's you and you alone, Jesus. So we cry out to you, bring revival in this country. Please, Lord, pour out your spirit and use us. Lord, let us be willing to go where you send us to say the words that you put in our mouths. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Please speak to us now as we open up your word. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys greet one another this morning? Good morning and welcome. How are you? Uh, last uh, week, uh, we mentioned the uh, vaccine exemption form. Uh, we've compiled that. We've put it together. Uh, it will be available if you need it. Uh, Carol will have it in the reception area after service. And one thing I think we need to remember, th this, you know, this form, it represents a firm conviction. Okay, so if there's some unbeliever that says, oh, I want one of those, say, well, would you like to receive Jesus into your heart? Okay, take, take advantage of the situation and opportunity because this is a form that represents a firm conviction because of Jesus Christ in your life that you don't want to take a vaccine. Okay, it's not, again, we're not against vaccines, uh, but we're just against vaccine mandates. And uh, also, too, Carol has, will, will be able to direct you uh, because there's a Word document um, program that you can take advantage of if you want to change this, if you something you need to add to it um, in order for, you know, your requisition to be accepted by whomever, okay? So, so we have that, too. Carol will be able to direct you uh, to that. Uh, Acts chapter 10 this morning. Acts chapter 10. Okay, where are we here? Okay, we are in verse 23 uh, through the end of the chapter. And uh, we left off uh, last week where there needed to be the, the two main characters of our story, you know, Peter uh, and Cornelius, both needed to have a vision. And uh, the Lord gave them both a vision because uh, what they were doing, you know, in their thinking was something uh, to perhaps, you know, would maybe could possibly be a compromise in some kind of way. Um, and without the vision, this would have happened. So, you know, God gives visions when they're needed. OK, he doesn't just sort of hand them out, you know, carte blanche, you know, type of thing. 
But uh, visions come when people absolutely need them, and we see that Peter and both Cornelius as well uh, needed to have this vision. And so we want to pick it up in verse 23. Uh, we're told here <clears throat> that Peter, then he invited them, the men that came uh, from Cornelius, he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or to go to one another or to another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. And I asked then, For what reason have you sent me or sent for me? And so Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing uh, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms, your deeds, are remembered in the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea, and when he comes, he will speak to you. And so he sent to them, so, and so I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all things commanded to you by God. And then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, no favoritism. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. And that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did in the land of the Jews. Uh, excuse me, I lost my place here. Uh, and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. And him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. And not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, the Jews, who believed were astonished, and many as uh, many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues 
and magnify God. And then Peter answered, saying, Can anyone forbid water, uh, that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. And Father, we thank you. Lord, uh, we see here, <laughs> Lord, uh, a Gentile Pentecost. Lord, uh, we're so thankful that you had us in your heart. And Lord, not only us, Lord, many others. And Lord, many others, we pray, even as we have prayed this morning for revival. Lord, to see your name magnified. Lord, to see people come into relationship with you. Lord, to have the emptiness of their lives filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, we need you. We need you in this day, in this age, at this time. We need you, Lord, in the church. Lord, we need, Lord, your working in our midst. Lord, uh, preparing us. Lord, uh, we see our world is in such deep trouble. And Lord, we know you're the answer. You're always the answer, Jesus. And Lord, we uh, commit this time to you. We pray that you would speak, Lord, into our hearts and into our lives. We pray and we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we entitled our message this morning, But God Has Shown Me. And of course, there are the words of Peter. And this had to be a huge step of faith for him. Uh, you know, as a Jew, because he may have felt like, man, I'm crossing a line here uh, type of thing. But yet, you know, he, God had shown him. Uh, the Lord had prepared him, had spoken to him. He needed that vision. And, of course, he was going to follow through and obey. And uh, as the Lord told him, you know, I want you to go, nothing doubting. Now, the thing is about Peter, uh, like any of us, if we don't take the steps of faith and, and, and walk as God leads us to walk, that we end up in stagnation. Uh, but when we obey God, um, that's when the growth comes, you know, when we simply surrender to him. When we had, and, and again, um, this was a big step for Peter. But it's also, the thing is, before we come to big steps of faith, we have to be obedient in the little steps of faith, in those little things, those little nudges, those little promptings, those little things that the Lord puts into our heart and puts into our life. And again, as we grow, that's where the change comes. That's where the transition comes, you know, within our life. And that's what I think, you know, when we're changing, there's a, mag there's a magnetism about Christ in the life that it just draws, it draws people to us because, in a sense, they're drawn to Jesus. Uh, how important it is that we, you know, communicate, you know, the gospel to them um, when they're looking at our lives. And, and, uh, and uh, we, again, we want to we communicate to them. It's not us. It's him. It's Jesus. We want to point them to him. So this is entirely new territory for the Apostle Peter. It says now, and this was big for him, just to invite these, these Gentiles, you know, into his house and lodge them there. That was, that was a biggie. Um, and so they're going to go, and he's going to take six brothers with him, okay? We don't, we don't, we don't get the number here, but we get the number later, and I think in chapter 11, okay? And again, this was big for a Jew, they want, he wanted witnesses, and so Peter would be number seven witness, uh, because again, he wasn't sure what was going to take place. Obviously, he's sensing that God, you know, was going to do something here, 
but he really didn't know that. So here, um, very wisely, he's taking along witnesses. It's very important because as they would report, report back to their Jewish brethren, it would be, it would be a, uh, absolutely critical uh, that, that it was more than just Peter's word. It was the word of all these different brothers that had been there. And so um, they're going to go here uh, from Joppa to Caesarea, about a 30-mile trip. And, um, and we're told in verse 24, now Cornelius was waiting for them and called together relatives and close friends. You know, Scripture is interesting because it presents uh, centurions in a very favorable light. We haven't mentioned four times, three times in the Gospels, and, and four times here, including here. And every time they're mentioned, uh, remember it was in, in uh, Matthew chapter 8, um, you know, when the centurion answers Jesus, and Jesus said, I have not found such great faith, uh, you know, not in Israel. And then we find another centurion, you know, at the cross, and it's a revelation, surely this is the Son of God. And then we find another centurion over in Acts chapter 27, and he, when it comes to the ship sinking, um, uh, because of that storm, normally soldiers would kill the prisoners because if those prisoners got away, it was their life. And so it's interesting, Paul uh, interceded to spare their life, and the centurion deferred to the apostle Paul. So obviously he respected Paul, he saw something there, and it was just God's grace, you know, working through the situation. But whenever centurions are mentioned, interesting. Um, and these guys, you know, they had a, they had a very powerful position, uh, and we see that here with Cornelius, uh, but again, spoken in a very admirable way. And so Cornelius comes in, and he falls down at the feet of Peter to worship him. You know, this would have been the perfect time for Peter to say, well, just kiss my ring, okay? Okay, this is his big moment. Just kiss my ring kind of a thing. Did you ever kiss anybody's ring? Did you? Did you ever do it? Anybody kiss it? I did. I did. I, we were, Margie and I were married by the Archbishop of Baltimore, uh, Thomas Welsh. And, and he was a friend of Margie's family. He was a great guy. But that was the protocol. That was the protocol when he came in and we met him. It's like, okay, we had a, a get of the old, the, the bishop's, Archbishop ring. We had to give it a kiss, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, but, he, you know, no servant here we see with Peter, no servant is going to receive the glory and the worship of God, Okay. Uh, th that's why it's always important, you know. That was one of the. That was, I think, one of the big principles in, in Pastor Chuck's life is not taking the glory, you know, not receiving the glory. Because when you look at all that God did through, you know, His life and His ministry, um, I mean, powerful. And Billy Graham, incredibly humble, you know, individual. Um, and these these are these are examples for us. Um, to never really, you know, take the stand in the limelight, you know, to take the pat on the back and the glory on God, but always be deferring, always be giving the credit in any and every way that we can, you know, to the Lord, because, uh, you know, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. Uh, we, we owe him everything, and, uh, and he blesses us, and he uses us, but we always want to have that, you know, pointing back to him. So he says, stand up, I myself am also uh, a man. And verse 27 tells us basically the house was packed out. I mean, it was just packed out with, you know, friends, relatives, maybe some neighbors and that sort of thing. And then we come to verse 28, and Peter says this, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company uh, or to go to one of another nation, another nationality, 
But look what he says. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And again, you know, Peter, again, he's observing Jewish tradition here. And that was simply to avoid any kind of social contact with the Gentile world. But that's not what God meant, okay? God meant in the law that they were to be separate from sin. And God, interestingly, even in the Old Testament, uh, you know, circumstance, situation, was showing his people that he wanted them reaching out to Gentiles. What about Rahab, the prostitute? What about Ruth, the Moabitess, okay? Uh, and again, these, you know, these two women uh, that were outcast, um, they basically end up in the genealogy of the Messiah. So, you know, you see the grace of God just working. Uh, and of course, again, you know, Peter was falling in line with the certain... That's why sometimes we have to... We have to understand there can be certain traditions that can be held in Christian circles that may not be biblical. And we have to be careful sometimes. You know, every group, I don't care who you are, Calvary Chapel, the, you know, the, the Methodist, the, the, the Baptist, the, you know, the Presbyterians, the Catholics, everybody, we all have our little traditions, okay? And we have to make sure that they line up with the Bible, Okay, it's not that we shouldn't have traditions at all. We, yeah, we need to have traditions, but they, they should be lining up really with the scripture and, uh, and with, um, you know, what the Lord would, would have for us. So here we find, you know, Peter is getting, God is extracting some racial bias in his life. Uh, perhaps maybe he didn't even understand it. He didn't even know that it was there. You know, you know, sometimes you hear the, 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 the term institutional race, racism, and sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's there, you know, in the culture, in different parts of the culture, and that sort of thing. But I love what Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, uh, you know, uh, I remember a couple, maybe a month ago or more than that, I'm not sure it was Wednesday night or Sunday, but I shared the story um, about uh, Gandhi uh, when he was, a, he was a student in England. Uh, in his younger life, and he writes this. He writes this in his autobiography, and uh, it says that he, <clears throat> the, the author says, he was deeply touched by the reading of the Gospels and seriously be, uh, considered becoming a convert to Christianity, which seemed to offer a real solution to the caste system that divided all the people uh, in India, you know, just, you know, putting people in different classifications and that sort of thing, which is so kind of normal, um, you, know, uh, you know, in our world today, even though, um, you know, as a person that may not live in India can still have put people, you know, uh, beneath them and in all kinds of classifications, they're this or they're that, whatever the case may be, and that's part of, I think, the old world kind of mentality. I grew up with an Irish grandmother, and, and um, it's, uh, as far as she was concerned, there's only, you know, one people in the world. They're Irish, and it's everybody else is them, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. And, and there was obviously a bias there. And, uh, but listen to this. Uh, one Sunday, he attended church services and decided to ask the minister for enlightenment on salvation and other doctrines because he'd been reading the, he'd been reading the New Testament. He was interested. Uh, he saw something... He saw something, you know, really, you know, wonderful, you know, in Christ. And, uh, but when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat. 
and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. Well, he left and never came back. And he said this, if Christians have caste differences also, he said to himself, I might just as well remain a Hindu. And so it shows you sometimes, you know, how, you know, different, you know, little attitudes and biases and that sort of thing. I remember one time walking into a church and I was dressed casually and I was looked up and down. You know, how dare you? Nothing was ever said, but it was how dare you come to church like that, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, and we have to be careful of that kind of thing. It, it's a dangerous uh, uh, kind of an attitude to have uh, uh, when the hippies first start showing up at um, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, when it was just a little church, it was just a little church, and, and the hippies were coming in, and they, had all, they didn't have shoes, and they had you know, dirty piggy toes. And uh, the elders you know, got all upset about that and said, you know, well, what are we going to do here? Um, at one of the elders' meetings, you know, here these, these dirty hippies are coming in and they're making our church smelly and they look what they're doing to the carpet. And, and Pastor Chuck said, well, let's tear the carpet out. <laughs> and uh, so that stopped all the, uh, all the complaining. Now, he says also in verse 29, Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for, and I, and I ask, then for what reason have you sent me? He still has no idea of what the Lord's going to do or what the Lord wants to do. But the beautiful thing we see here, a man that had some bias, some prejudice, some attitude, some issues, he's open. And, and we've talked about this before. It's very important for us as believers to be flexible. To be flexible because when you're flexible, you're usable. I think Paul became that. And again, he was a very orthodox, you know, rabbi at one point, And yet God was able to take him and make him a man for all seasons. And I believe God wants to do that with us. To take us, you know, and thinking we have to be willing to be inconvenienced. We have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone in order for the Lord to take us and use us and put us where he wants and put us maybe perhaps with people that maybe we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't want to be around. And I think we just, again, Peter here, he's open. And I think it's a good example for us that we need to be open as well. And so Cornelius, we're told here, he said, four days ago I was fasting. And basically in verses 31, 32, and 33, he gives basically here a list um, and, and rehearses the angelic message um, and, and why it was he and all these people were waiting. And you know, little did this man realize, this, this, this Roman army officer, Little did he realize that he would be the first of a long line, a multitude of Gentiles that would come in and experience Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, too, little did he realize that his name would be recorded in Holy Scripture for eternity. I mean, <laughs> what, a, what a privilege, this man you know, that he had. And again, you, you never know. You never know when you're obedient to the Lord what kind of surprise he has for you. Our, our God is full of surprises. You know, we may call him blessings, uh, but he's always got something, you know, uh, in a sense to, to bless our lives, to encourage us, particularly how important it is that we're walking, you know, in that uh, circumstance and situation uh, of obedience. Now, in verse 34, it says, Peter opened his mouth. And this is one thing Peter was noted for, okay? He's very good at that. But this is the new Peter, okay? This is the new Peter. 
Uh, you know, I think of Psalm, 80, Psalm 81. Uh, it's one of my favorite Psalms, uh, Psalm 80, Psalm 81. And God says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. You know, if God sends you to go somewhere, you know what? You may not, he may not give you beforehand what you're to say, but you know what? If you open your mouth for God and you're on his errand, you're on his mission, he's going to fill it. He's going he's gonna to give you the wherewithal, whatever you need, whatever it is um, that you have to say. And he says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Again, God doesn't, you know, that's the mistake sometimes people make. They think God is like us, okay? He's not. He's so absolutely different. And that's why he's always revealing himself. He's always revealing his nature and how he is. Uh, that's why the Gospels are so important as we see Jesus, you know. And that's why, you know, as you read the Bible, you read the Gospel. I don't care how many times, if you read, I don't care if you read the Gospels ten times. The 11th time, you're going to get some further information. You're going to get a little more insight. Uh, you're going to get a little more revelation, you know, about the nature of the Lord and, uh, and how he's like. And, uh, and, and partiality is basically an unfair bias toward a person. Just, just, just unfair um, sometimes maybe we've heard it said, or maybe we said, you know, I just don't like that person. I, I just don't like the way they look, you know, kind of a thing. And, and that's really an, un, that's kind of a partial kind of an attitude. It, it's an unfair assessment of someone. It's, 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 a, it's a, you know, it's being partial. It's being biased, you know, toward uh, somebody that perhaps we don't even know. Now he says, uh, <clears throat> but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And the word which God sent uh, to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. And so as we know, it's what's first peace with God. You can't have the peace of God until you first have peace with God. That's why Jesus is referred to as what? The Prince of Peace. You know, Paul speaks about, the New Testament speaks about, you know, having a peace that passes all understanding. And he's talking about having a peace in your life, when you're, in your mind, when your life is a mess or things are a mess around you, okay? You can have a peace because while you're trusting him, you're looking to him. But first and foremost, it's a peace with God. That's why we see, that's why we see the murder, the mayhem, the problems in our world today. Men, mankind is at war with God. That, that's, that's the definition of what's... The wars, the horrible things that we see taking place, man is at war with God. And it's only as the Prince of Peace comes into our heart. And it's amazing. Have you, do you notice when Christ came into your life, that all of a sudden you started just liking people you didn't like before? It, it's, it really, it's wonderfully miraculous where, where you just all of a sudden, you're liking people. You're hanging out with people that maybe you would have never hung out with before. And that, that's his grace. That, that's the love of God at work within our heart, within our, within our lives. See, the, the thing is, when Christ comes into our life, there is all kinds of practical ramifications. It affects, you know, how we view things, our perspective, you know, how we interact with people, how we treat people. When the gospel is really at work and Christ is at work within our life, all those things, you know, have impact, you know, our interaction, you know, uh, you know how we look at the world around us and how we treat people. Uh, that's why Jesus said he calls us to this incredible standard of loving our enemies. Um, 
you know, we, we know how hard that is. We, we know how difficult and impossible that is in our human nature to love our enemies. But again, it's by the wonderful grace of God um, that he gives us that wherewithal to, to do that. But again, you still have to step out in faith. Remember, faith is in juxtaposition to feelings. And we all have feelings, natural feelings about things. And, and the Lord says, okay, I want you to, when, when he speaks to us in the word, he prompts us to do something, we have to act on faith. Because if we're just acting on feelings, we'll probably never do it. We will probably never do it if we are just a feeling-oriented, because that's our culture. Our, our culture is always about how you feel. But the Bible's all about faith, about trusting them. That's, you know, you know, how do we overcome? How, how do we overcome some of the, you know, the situations that just stymie our Christian life? He said, this is the victory that overcomes the world and the flesh. It's our faith. It's our trust in him. It's our reliance upon him. So there really doesn't have to be any kind of barricade or any kind of blockage or any kind of hindrance, hindrance that really stops us in our life, in our Christian life. Again, you know, we, we can become so controlled by how we feel and how the situation appears. But again, it's faith. Faith is the principle for overcoming in our Christian life. And that, that faith is, is applied not just to the big, great trials. It's applied in the everyday, ordinary situations where we find ourselves struggling, uh, where we find ourselves maybe suffering different, you know, these little defeats, you know, here and there. It's by, it's by faith and trusting him that we can overcome and get victory uh, in those particular areas. Now, he says that word, and when he says that word in verse 37, he's really talking about the, go the gospel message. And in these verses here, he's basically mentioning certain essentials, you know, as he shares the gospel. And, of course, one of them is baptism. And then in verse uh, 38, how God anointed Jesus uh, with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing, and all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, uh, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. So, uh, as, as, uh, again, as he presents the gospel here, uh, and again, what gives the gospel its power is the cross. Okay, his sacrificial death, okay, that's what gives the gospel its power because he died. He paid the, the, the great debt. He the, paid the payment, you know, for our sins and for the sins of the human, uh, human race. And again, his death was foreordained. It was foreordained, you know, by the Father. Uh, it was, you know, it was God's purpose, a redemptive purpose being worked out. Yet, there were evil men um, that were also culpable you know, for, you know, their actions, you know, as they attempt it, uh, really, in a sense, when you think about it, their attempt was to, to silence God, was to murder God. And again, they were culpable before that, uh, even though God ordained it. And sometimes, you know, when you think about man's responsibility and God's sovereignty, sometimes reconciling those, it's, it's a little bit, little bit difficult sometimes to reconcile them, but there's two important truths Yes, God is sovereign. Uh, God is working all things after the counsel of his will, the scripture tells us. And yet there is man. And there is you know, the evil that takes place, you know, in our world and in our culture. 
And here's the thing about evil and all the horrible things that take place in our world. Here's the truth for you and I as believers. It's Romans 8.28. That even though those things can touch our life, those things can impact our life, they can touch our families, God can work and will work all things to the good as we trust him, as we look to him. Uh, Many a time, many a time, in my ministry, I've buried, did a funeral service, and we buried somebody's child. And that's a very difficult thing to accept and understand. Uh, we did it again yesterday. And, um, and it's hard for us to reconcile that and understand, but God can take the most difficult, the most tragic circumstances, you know, in our lives, and he can bring good out of that. You know, whatever, whatever the devil means, you know, for evil, uh, God can bring good out of that. And we have to believe that. We have to trust that. And um, we see that. We see it all through the Bible. And, you know, we really we, we see it all through life. We see it all through life. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the person, uh, the, 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 the individual that was here yesterday, and we, we had a memorial service for his daughter, this is his second child that has died. And, um, and yet we, see the, we saw the grace of God sustaining, sustaining him, sustaining uh, the family. And verse 40, him, <clears throat> we're told, Christ, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, and not to all the people, but to witness chosen uh, before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him. Uh, after he rose from the dead. You know, Paul says over in that great uh, uh, resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 that over 500 people, there were over 500 witnesses that saw uh, Jesus Christ uh, after his his death and after his resurrection. And again, his resurrection is demonstration. I I was talking about it yesterday uh, because, you know, there's a sorrow. Our lives are touched by a sorrow when there's death. There's a grieving, there's a loss, there's a sorrow. But because of the resurrection, okay, we're promised, the believer is promised eternity with him. We have this glorious and incredible promise that Jesus, because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, that you and anybody that puts their faith, their simple faith, and, and I always stress, you know, the gospel and believing it. It's so simple. It's so Utterly simple to put our faith and our trust. Even a child, a little one, could believe and put their faith in him. And, and if they do, he will wonderfully you know, come into their life. And, and you know, the funny thing is, you know, when you come, when, eternal life begins when you get saved. When you give your life to Christ, that's when eternal life begins for you. And God's resurrection power, if you're a believer, it, it's there in your life. As he raises us up above circumstances, above situations, and all the things, you know, if you know anybody who's gone through, you know, maybe similar situations like you, that, that how their life can be so defined by it, controlled by it, defeated by it. We all know people like that. But because of Christ in your life, in my life, we rise above it. Out of the wreck, whatever the wreck is, out of the wreck we rise. 
And that's God's resurrection power in our lives. That, that the past doesn't have to control us. It doesn't have to define us. We, and so many people, so many people without Christ, without Christ, what kind of future do you really have? Not, not a real positive, I mean, it can look kind of rosy, but how quickly all that can kind of fall apart. I, I, sat, I used to sit with my grandmother. I grew up kind of in her kitchen. <laughs> and she would rehearse things in her past from years and years and years ago. Things that hurt her. Things that had wounded her that she had never, ever really gotten over. And she was, you know, she was probably 70 years old at that point. And that's why, you know, we talk about, we're, we're singing about the Lord. He's our healer. He heals our wounds. He, he binds us up. He, he places, you know, his peace, you know, in our lives. And that's, that's something, that's not something people can conjure up on their own. That, that's a gift of God. You know, when he steps into our life, you know, uh, David says in Psalm 103, he, uh, no, it's not Psalm 103, but he says in Psalm, uh, Psalm 103, forget not all his benefits. And then there's another Psalm 68, he says, he daily loadeth us with benefits. And, and it's just the life of Christ. It's so beneficial. And I think sometimes that there's benefits that we have as believers that we may not be taking advantage of. Because maybe it challenges us. Like Peter here. There was a bias there. There was a predisposition, an attitude, a presupposition about these Gentiles. And, and you know, one of, the, one of the rabbinical prayers was, Lord, I thank you haven't made me a Gentile dog. How do you like that? Thank you that you haven't made me a Gentile dog. Because in the Gentile world, they acted like dogs. They lived like dogs for the most part. It really wasn't far off. But, but, it, but it developed as this kind of attitude. And, and here... He's experiencing one of those benefits, the, the benefit of a, a changed attitude, the, the benefit of forgiveness. Forgiveness is, it, you know what, I, I tell you what, it, it is one of the great trademarks of Christianity, to be forgiven. You ever do something against someone, they'll never let you go. They will never forgive you. And sometimes there's folks that they just, they will hold on to that, 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 that bitterness deep within their spirit, within their heart, and, and they will freeze frame somebody in something that was perpetrated against them, something where they were wounded, something where they were hurt, and they will never see him outside of that. And what a benefit that you and I have, that we have that. And he speaks about it here, <clears throat> In these next couple of verses, uh, when he says, um, he commanded us to preach to the people to testify that it was he who, are, who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead, and to him all the prophets uh, witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive 
uh, remission or forgiveness of sins. And again, that's what, this is what the gospel is all about. It is simply about forgiveness and how important it is. <clears throat> and again, the, the immediate impact in so many people's lives is when they believe was to forgive. Just relinquish someone, to release someone. Because you know the thing about forgiveness is there's blowback. There's blowback. Somebody said unforgiveness is like, sort of like drink, drinking water from the well that you poisoned. And it really is because, you know, it, it's over in Hebrews chapter 12. It speaks about, you know, the heart um, is this root of bitterness, that, that it, it encases the heart. And then it comes up and troubles your mind and it comes out your mouth and you're defiling somebody. You ever been around a person where it just it comes out? It's like you feel like you're dumped on. You know, the, the bitterness of the past and, and all these sorts of things. And, and everybody, you know, everybody's got baggage. Everybody has got, you know, issues that can stymie, that can stagnate their life, that can poison, you know, their well and that sort of thing. I'm, 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 uh, I'll be uh, <clears throat> over Labor Day. I'm going out to Illinois for a reunion with my Vietnam, Vietnam veteran buddies. And, um, and so many, so many guys from, from the Vietnam veteran, you know, the experience. Um, you know, just as, I had PTSD. I, I had PTSD when I, when I came back from that. I, and as a matter of fact, I had, I didn't know it until a doctor told me I had combat amnesia. When I first came back for like the first year and a half, I couldn't remember anything. And it was just something, no, no doubt, God put in me to just sort of block it all out kind of a thing. Uh, but I remember, you know, I was, you know, my, um, the way I fixed myself was just, you know, and I can remember, I, I'd get in the car with Margie on a date, and I'd bring a six-pack with me. And that's how I basically anesthetized myself. You know, and she would, and I remember, I still can remember saying, you have to stop that. You, you have to stop that. And I, and I just I just needed to hear that, and and it's not that I stopped drinking, but I just stopped bringing the six back in the car, okay, and uh, but you know when I came to Christ, I had closure. He was my closure. The the PTSD was gone, and and so I'm, you know, as a matter of fact, there was a last time I was out there, I prayed, I prayed with I think his name was Lloyd. He was, a, uh, he was a Marine officer, and his life, his life was messed up. His life was, since Vietnam, was drugs. And, uh, and uh, I think Lloyd's going to be there again. And I just want to, I, I want to just pray with that guy again. I hope he comes to Christ. And, um, you know, there's something again about the forgiveness and the grace of God that just, man, it just sets us free from the things that would just, you know, harm us and poison us. And, and you know, the thing about you know, bitterness in your life, it, even though it may be remotely towards some person that you don't even, you're not around that person, but it comes out towards the people you love. That's what happens. Great story here from uh, True Story. Uh, anybody remember the movie The Bridge Over the River Kwai? Okay. It, it, it won Best Picture in 1957. And, uh, but there's a book and I remember uh, I had to buy the book on eBay, and it was an old dog-eared kind of a book, and I had to pay 20 bucks for it, but it was Through the Valley of the Kwai. And it was a, it was a, it was a story written by a Christian, 
and he was a Scottish soldier at that time, um, as, as, he had, as, as he and many other, you know, those are in the British Army, uh, were basically, you know, they were captured, you know, by the Japanese Army in Burma, and they had to build a railroad uh, for them. And listen to this story. <clears throat> The, the Scottish soldiers forced by their captors to labor on a jungle railroad had degenerated to barbarous or barbarous uh, behavior. But one afternoon, something happened. A shovel was missing. The officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel be produced or else. And when nobody in the squadron budged, the officer got his gun and threatened to kill all of them on the spot. And it was obvious the officer meant what he had said. And then finally, one man stepped forward. The officer put away his gun, picked up a shovel, and beat the man to death. When it was over, the survivors picked up the bloody corpse, carried it with them to the, ne to the, to the second tool checkpoint. This time, no shovel was missing. Indeed, there had been a miscount at the first checkpoint. The word spread like wildfire through the whole camp that an innocent man had been willing to die to save others. The incident had a profound effect. The men began to treat each other like brothers. And when the victorious allies swept in, the survivors, who were human skeletons, they lined up in front of their captors. And instead of, instead of attacking their captors, insisted, no more hatred, no more killing. What we need is forgiveness. And that is the sacrificial Love that has transforming power. You see, we have that love. We have that love that, that, that the God, our God of love is, is, is in our hearts, in our lives. And you know what? He wants to manifest himself. Uh, you know, it's like when we're together, it's like, oh, brother, sister, I love you, you know. And it's, it's great. That, that's a great thing. But you know something? That love's got to be released out there. Because that's where they need it. And when we're given opportunity, man, that's when we got to really communicate the love of Jesus Christ out there where there's just a lot of hatred, a lot of division, a lot of bias. You know, it's interesting how sometimes the world, you know, the, they, they tell us we're judging. I'll tell you what, the world's always judging. The world, you know, you know what? The world's always hypocritical. And sometimes they tend to point the finger, maybe, maybe righteously, I don't know, or perhaps oftentimes wrongly. But again, what is needed is the love of Jesus Christ in these situations. So uh, Peter's preaching here, and while Peter was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit, fell upon all those who heard the word. I don't think Peter minded this interruption. Do you remember the transfiguration account? He was interrupted then, too. He was speaking. He said, let us build their tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, and, the, and the Lord, the Father, interrupted him and said, you know, um, this is my beloved son. Listen to him, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, so I don't think Peter minded this interruption whatsoever. And what a surprise it must have been. All of them, the Holy Spirit, wonderfully poured out. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had, had been poured out upon the Gentiles. Man, a beautiful 
many Gentile Pentecost. And you know what? You know what's absent here? There's no altar call. Okay? Nobody's laying hands on anyone. You know, there's no formula. No one's being called forward. It's just man, the Holy Spirit. And you know what I love about that? Is God will not be formularized. You know, even we evangelicals, we try to put him in a box. That has to be done the same way all the time. <laughs> and I just love the Lord the way he does it. He, he does it so incredibly different because why? He wants us to trust him. Sometimes Christians, pastors, you know, ministers, we, we love to put things in a formula. <laughs> you know, it makes us feel good about it. You know, we just go, here's the formula. And uh, a lot of times books are written like that. We have our formula book. Okay, and if you follow the book, <laughs> or booklet. And they heard, they heard them speak with tongues. And magnify God, and then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? And every, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And again, this was, this was an incredible you know, biggie for Peter, you know, and these other Jewish men that were there. And, um, and what he's recognizing here is the equality. You know, equality is a big thing today, right? And he's recognizing Jew-Gentile. And Paul will write later, that wall has been removed. That, that wall of separation has been removed because of Christ. I was telling this story to somebody yesterday in the back of the sanctuary after the memorial service. And um, they were telling me that, uh, she was telling me that her and her husband just had gone to uh, Vietnam. And uh, she was asking me about it. And I said, you know, uh, I went in 2019. Many of you know that. And uh, it was actually 50 years later and I, we went over there to help uh, instruct and teach some, some uh, in a Christian church, some leaders and helping them to basically disciple, you know, um, you know different individuals and so forth. And it was in Hanoi. And so uh, I had purposed before I was going to go <clears throat> that I wasn't going to say anything that I had been a Marine there. I had been a combat Marine in South Vietnam. because Not because I was afraid. I was not afraid one iota. I didn't want to distract them by that because North Vietnam was almost bombed into oblivion, and I'll bet you everybody that was in that class that I was speaking lost a relative in that whole event. So I didn't want to mention it. But I'm teaching in Ephesians, and I'm in chapter 2, where it says that the Lord has removed that wall of partition. He has brought the two together. And as I'm explaining that about what Christ does, that he takes former enemies and, and he brings them together and he makes them family, I couldn't help but see how important it was to just say to them, you know, 50 years ago I was your sworn enemy. And I was, you know, fighting your... your, your, your grandfathers, your fathers, your uncles in South Vietnam. And uh, 
And it was kind of interesting because afterwards, this man comes up. He's 70 years old. He's basically my age. And he says, I was an officer, and I fought in South Vietnam back in 1969. And he fought in the same area that I fought in. He lifted his shirt. He had showed me where he had been shot. He had a sinkhole right there in the solar plexus. And anyway, we commiserated through a translator and hugged one another. And so at the end of the week, he wanted to have a picture with me. And uh, it was kind of interesting. He was an interesting character because he was a believer, but he belonged to the local Communist Party. And, and, he, and, he, and he told me through a translator, he says, anytime the communists want to know something about Christianity, they come to me. <laughs> he was their guy. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting how God always has his person, you know, in the right place. And so he comes up uh, to take a picture, and all of a sudden, there, there's four women back there. And we find out that these four women were so Vietnamese soldiers fighting in the South the same time as we were. And they wanted a picture. And so we all hugged, and it was just, uh, it was just a, a great experience. You know, the grace of God. The grace of God, you know, how it heals wounds. You know, how, how it brings forgiveness. You know, how it you know, transitions and changes. You know, so many people are just, they're defined. They're controlled by the past. And they don't, they don't, we don't need to be. God designed for us to have a glorious freedom uh, presently and, and uh, our focus is not on the baggage of the past the wounds of the past and I'll never get over this kind of a thing but on the future about what the Lord and how he can change us and so he says can anyone uh, forbid water and that's why you know there's an important principle here if you're a believer you've committed your life to Christ get baptized Okay? We're not a Baptist church, okay? But get baptized. It, it, it's a command. It, it's a simple command that God calls us. Remember, he tells, you know, the disciples, go into all the world, uh, you know, pre preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's just a step of faith. Baptizing, baptism doesn't save anybody, but basically it, it will bless you in a very wonderful way. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. In closing, I want to read something to you. <clears throat> it came to me in the mail. I found it this morning when I opened up my phone. And I thought it was kind of an interesting thing. And uh, there's 10 different, ten different uh, items here that are mentioned about different techno medical technologies and scientific breakthroughs in Israel. The first one is Tel Aviv University is developing a nasal vaccine that will protect people from Alzheimer's and stroke. Number two, the Technion Institute of Technology in Haifa has developed a simple blood test capable of detecting different types of cancer. The Iklov Center in Tel Aviv isolated a protein that makes colonoscopy unnecessary to detect colon cancer and to detect it with a simple blood test. 
Colon cancer kills about 500,000 people annually. Acne doesn't kill people, but does cause anxiety in teens. The Curlite Laboratory in Israel has created a cure by emitting UV, UV rays at high intensity and kills the bacteria that causes acne. It's interesting. The Given Imaging Laboratory, this is the fifth uh, item, has developed a tiny camera in the form of swallowed pills. And it transmits thousands of photos of the digestive tract. These high-quality photos, two seconds, two per second for every eight hours, can detect polyps, cancers, um, sources of bleeding, and photos that are sent to a chip that stores them and sends them to a computer. At the end of the process, um, the chamber, basically, the, the thing is basically um, eliminated through your body. Number six, Hebrew University in Jerusalem has developed a electro-neurostimulator uh, that is implanted in the chest of Parkinson's patients, similar to a pacemaker. The emissions from this, the, the device block the nerve signals that cause the tremors. I, I've known, uh, my dentist used to have Parkinson's, and um, you, just, you, can't, you can't control the, the tremors. They're just kind of, they take, they take over. Number seven, the simple smell of a patient's breath can detect um, if a patient has lung cancer. The Russell Berry Institute of Nanotechnology in Israel has created sensors capable of sensing and registering 42 biological markers that indicate the presence of lung cancer without the need of a biopsy. Number eight, catheterization can be dispensed with in many cases. Uh, endopat this, uh, is a uh, device placed between the, the indi indicator fingers, which can measure the state of the arteries and predict the possibility of a heart attack for the next seven years. The University of Bar Ilan studies uh, a new drug that fights viruses through the bloodstream. It is called Vectcoy Trap and it tricks a virus into self-destruction, very useful to combat, combat hepatitis, and in the future, AIDS and Ebola. And number 10, Israeli scientists at Hadassah Medical Center in Jerusalem may have discovered the first cure uh, for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And they've done this in an Orthodox rabbi and Stephen Hawking, who was a famous British scientist, suffered from the disease. But he used methods invented by Israeli scientists to communicate. So what does all that have in common with what we read? God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that in you and in your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. These are scientific. These are scientific, medical, amazing things. What we see here today in chapter, chapter 10 of Acts is the greatest blessing. Our Jewish Messiah bringing salvation, bringing redemption. You know, we were doing a study in Genesis, and what was interesting uh, as I did some research, the Jews and the Israelis 
um, have more Nobel Prizes per capita than any people group, and they're just probably one of the smallest people groups in the entire world. They have more Nobel laureates than any other people group. And you know what that is? It's God's blessing. God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you, Abraham. And, and there's so many stories. There's so many stories about how God has blessed the world through the Jewish race. And, but ultimately, the greatest blessing is salvation and redemption. Amen? Father, we praise you. We thank you as we read the story of the Holy Spirit, Lord, being poured out on Gentiles, still by many considered to be dogs. And Lord, there's many people in this world today. Lord, they may live like dogs, they may act like dogs, but they're your creation. Lord, you have a purpose, you have a plan. And Lord, like Peter, Lord, with, Lord, with his attitudes, Lord, we have ours. Help us, Lord, we pray, to break free. Help us, Lord, we pray, to, to, Lord, break out of our, Lord, our wrong ideas, our wrong concepts. Lord, you are so faithful. Lord, you, you so love the world that you sent your only begotten Son. And you're sending him not only to us, but through us. Lord, may we take a page here from, uh, from Peter. May we be bold. Lord, may you give us opportunity. Lord, may you speak to our hearts. May, maybe we may not get a vision like Peter or Cornelius, but Lord, you, you have given us a, your Holy Spirit, and may you speak into our hearts and, Father, into our lives. Lord, may you be glorified. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I just want to mention something to you that uh, Kay Smith, Pastor Chuck's wife, just passed away. Passed away, I think, a couple weeks ago. And what was interesting to me, and I don't know, maybe you've heard this story um, or not, but when, when before the outpouring of the Spirit on the hippie movement, what, what, what morphed into the Jesus movement, touching many multitudes and multitudes of life, that uh, Chuck and Kay uh, would go down to the ocean. They'd sit at a park, and all the hippies would be there, you know, just sitting around and all that. And Chuck would say, oh, how dirty they are. <laughs> and, and Kay would say, oh, God wants to save them. God's got a plan for them. Chuck, let's pray for them. And, and they, that, the, that couple, you know, was key. But I, I, th when I think of Kay, you know, how she influenced her husband. And, and, and God turned it into a movement, you know, impacting not only thousands of life, but starting thousands of churches as a result of that. So may the Lord use us. Are you, are you open? Are you open? <laughs> okay. God bless you.